So as we head into um, this, this chapter, it is a flowing out of what we have seen so far. And so remember, Jesus spends time after uh, the resurrection. He spends time with the disciples, talking to them about the kingdom of God and promising him that he would send the helper, that when he departs, when he ascends, the helper would come. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at how they waited and how the Holy Spirit comes and fills the place. And they speak in different languages and people are able to hear in their own tongues what is going on and, and Peter delivers this incredible message glorifying God and thousands of people are saved and then we saw last week of how they are, are saved but then they become the church family because they're not just saved as individuals but they're saved as brothers and sisters they are now formed as a people and so we get to start to see the story of how this group of people this this people who who was not a, a people at a time but now are a people this group that that was very diverse now has come together and is a family we get to start to see how they live and that is what we talked about last week and now we get to see how they then are sent and how they go out and in the ministry that they do and it's pretty miraculous so let's pray as we get started father we pray as we read your word as we consider what you are saying to us lord please give us discernment holy spirit would you show us what you have for us that we would see the truth of your word, that we would see it as beautiful and as good news, and that it would change our lives. God, help us to remove the blinders that we have on so often. Blinders that are forged in, in our cultures and in our pasts and in our own opinions and thoughts about things, God, would you please set us free from those things and let us hear from you. In short, Lord, help us to believe and to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 3 it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So he's asking for money. And again, remember, sorry to pause, I, I, I meant to say this before I read this. I want to read this so you get a feeling of what's going on. So again, remember, this is a narrative passage. And in narrative passages, it is good to imagine and to picture what is happening so that you can put yourself in that situation, in that story, to try to see what they see. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can you see that phrase again? Remember we talked about like as God shows up, as the Spirit of God moves, that when the Spirit of God moves, the response is awe and wonder and amazement. Like people stand and they, there's no question that something has happened. And they're in awe and they're in, in wonder. And as we've talked about so many times, people see that, they experience that. And some will mock and some will seek. So we see this story of, of Peter and John immediately after. So the, the backdrop is they're functioning as a church family. It says that they are, they are filled with awe and wonder all the time. Like they're seeing miraculous things happen in, in late, uh, the last part of Acts chapter 2. It talks about that. And so then here we see an example. It's almost like what Luke is saying is like, okay, here's the backdrop. Here's the overview of what's happening, kind of big picture. And then he dives into this story as like, here's an example of of what's happening. Here's an, an example of the miracles and the signs and the wonders that are taking place. And it's interesting to try to figure out what to do with this. What do you do with these kinds of, of miracles that we see in the book of Acts? Because my guess is that if I went around the room and asked all of you, that, that nobody would probably say like, oh yeah, that, that exact thing happened to me this week. I'm guessing not. Now, if it did, praise Jesus, and I would love to hear about that, and we need to celebrate that. But most of us would probably sit here and say, yeah, I read that, but what do we, what do, we do with that? What are, we supposed to, what are we supposed to take from this? What's the point of these kinds of, these narratives, these stories about these miracles? And so what I want to do today is just kind of look at, at how these miracles take place. Like what, what can we take from what the, the, the apostles are doing that, that we can imitate, that we should be imitators of? What's the point of these types of miraculous signs? And how does that apply to us today? What do, what do we do with that today? So let's look at how these happen. And maybe it's in part a, a diagnosis of why we don't see them so much anymore. And by the way, I have to say, again, we have to separate this. It's why we don't hear, like in our culture. Anybody that's spent time overseas or in the persecuted church in many different places has seen many of these types of things happen. And so there is a um, specific experience that we have, especially in the Western church, where we tend to look at these things and say, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening anymore. Well, the first thing, just to kind of set the stage for, for their situation, is we need to realize, like, they're just following Jesus here. Like, this interaction that, that Peter and John have with this lame man is strikingly similar to the interactions that Jesus has many times over, that we see Jesus have many times over in the Gospels. And so what we have is that the disciples have clearly been watching Jesus. And he told them, greater things than these will you do. And so they believe him. And so what we see right off the bat is Peter and John have a certain level of expectation that I think is often missing from us. 
A question of what, what do you expect on a daily basis? Do you expect God to move in powerful ways? Or do you think the norm is that you don't see the Holy Spirit move except in really just extreme circumstances? I mean, you look at the boldness of, of Peter. Like in, in verse 6 there, he, he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. How could he possibly be so bold and so confident in saying that? He's kind of going out on a limb there a little bit, right? Well, he's able to do it because that was normal to him. In part, he had seen Jesus do this countless times. And so for him, it would not have been unusual at all. He's a, he has seen this happen countless times. And I think there's something important there for us. It's about our expectations. So much of our doubt is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We often don't pray for healing with confidence because it's simply not normal to us. And part of the reason it isn't normal to us is because we credit every healing that we see to science or to luck or to nature. We credit like every nugget of divine intervention as, as coincidence or happenstance. We often credit every form of sanctification, miraculous sanctification in us to, to maturity and growing in our own wisdom. And so because of all that, we don't see God doing miraculous things and so it doesn't, it's not normal to us. So then we don't, it affects our confidence in which we pray for these things. We do the same way, do the same thing, by the way, when we talk about sharing the gospel. We often are very timid about how to share the gospel and what exactly do I need to say and how do I say the right thing. And the reason why we're so often so nervous about those things is because what's normal to us is people don't respond. It hasn't become normal to us that we just assume if I, if I just point out Jesus to you, the Holy Spirit is going to open your eyes and you're going to see. And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves is what's normal to me? What do I want to be normal? And when you've seen many lives changed by the gospel, that will become normal. I, I can tell you my testimony in part is that I used to be terrified to share the gospel. Even when I was working and starting out in ministry, I was terrified. I thought I'd say the wrong thing. I thought... I would, you know, mess it up. I thought I wouldn't be convincing enough. I thought I would give a wrong answer. And because of that, I hesitated. I didn't, and I kind of expected like nothing would happen. You know what changed that in me? When I would mess up, and I would do everything wrong, and a person would come to Christ. And I start realizing it's not about me. Like he started realizing, like, the Holy Spirit is actually going around saving people, like, right in front of me. And so then it became this thing of, like, okay, I just went in. Let me be part of it. I started expecting it to happen. And I started saying things and trying to share. And then as I do that, like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I share and there's more wisdom and insight. And sometimes, sometimes there's not. And you know what? I just sit there and I just expect, like, okay, God, you're going to do something with that. 
And so it's gotten to the point for me, my testimony of growing and growing and growing in confidence in this is to the point now where when I believe the Holy Spirit has told me to go and talk to somebody, I do so expectantly. Not because I think I'm going to nail it, but because I believe there's a reason why, God, you're asking me to go talk to them, and I expect you to do something miraculous. So if you want to be awe of the miraculous, if you want to be in awe and wonder on a daily basis, part of it is you need to be around the miraculous. You need to take steps of faith in that, being willing to look foolish. And I think what we see is in Peter and John and the rest of the church, they have become, they've gotten to a place where the miraculous is the norm. And they can't wait to see what God does next. And because of that, what seems risky to us, telling somebody to rise up and walk, is totally normal to them. So how do we do the same? Like, what do we learn by watching them do this? Is it, is it just a matter of like, well, as long as you're confident enough, then it will happen? Not exactly. We see a few things in them that I think are critical principles that we need to take and realize that if we want to see these things happen, that this, there's some key things here that we see consistently. And, and ultimately, it is they imitate Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of the key here. They follow Jesus. They don't go rogue. They don't go off into their own world saying like, hey, I, we've got this power in us. Like, I'm going to create a new way of doing this. They literally just mimic Jesus. What they saw him doing, they also do. And the first thing they imitate, and this is critical, is his compassion for the afflicted. This is number one. Look what it says in Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Picture the scene here. This beggar is sitting outside of this gate, and he is used to be seen as like a, a nuisance or less than human. And so he doesn't make eye contact with the people that he's asking. He's probably got his head down and, and holding up his hand or whatever he has to collect money and not looking at anybody and saying, just please. And he would kind of see people coming and like, please, sir, would you, do you have anything to spare? And, and refusing to look. But Peter and John look at him. And not only do they look at him, they say, look at us. And so he looks up expecting to receive something from them. And at that moment, like when, when Peter and, and John, when they look at him and Peter says, I don't have silver or gold for you, it's possible and probably pretty likely that the beggar thought he was being mocked which would not have been an unusual circumstance for him. But he was not being mocked. Peter and John look at him. This is strikingly similar to what we see Jesus doing. The intimacy. We've talked about this so many times as we've gone through and looked at the, the healings of Jesus, that he touches the leper that no one else will touch. He associates with the lowly woman that no one else will speak to. He calls the outcast son and daughter. He touches 
he looks at and he sits with the suffering. And Peter and John are doing what they saw their master do. They're not just walking around performing miracles. They're not just walking around as like these big shot apostles. They are walking around with eyes to see. And they are loving people. And I will tell you plainly, you will not see miraculous things happen if it is self-serving and self-righteous. James 4, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Church, we are in a culture, in a situation right now where many of us are praying for some kind of revival. Like we want to see people turn to Christ. But I ask again, what is the heart that we have towards those who need to turn to Christ? Looking at the world with contempt and judgment and self-righteousness would be like walking through the halls of the cancer ward at the hospital mocking everyone. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's horrifying. And if we know that, then why? Why would we ever do that with people who are infected by sin? People exactly in the same boat as you and I. Unless, unless you think it was because of your own morality that you found God. Or perhaps your own wisdom that saved you. Listen, our, our pleas and our declaration should be full of compassion. And if you're sitting there saying, you sound like a broken record, Jay. Great. That means I'm maybe getting close to saying it enough. We must enter into the suffering of our neighbor. If we want to see God do incredible things, we need to enter into the suffering of our neighbor and not be detached. And that works not only for healings, but again, sharing the gospel. If, if you say, man, I share the gospel all the time. I share the gospel all the time with the jerks at work. And I know, because I know, like, you all laugh because you say, like, well, I would never say that. No, but in your heart, do you say it? Because if you do, then it's probably a pretty good clue as to why the miraculous is not normal to you. They tell the beggar, look at me. They're saying in that, as they lock eyes with him, you are not a nuisance, brother, you're not someone to just skip by and pay off so that I can relieve myself of some guilt. You're made in the image of God, and I have a miracle for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So that's an, another thing then that they exhibit. They exhibit a boldness because they have the Spirit. 
So again, like you could say, okay, got it. I have compassion and I want to see. So they clearly want to see this man delivered. But how do they get so bold to just say, like, I'm just declaring that this is what's happening? And I think the key is that he says, what I do have, I give to you. They have it. What's it? They're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully, what's going off in your head is like, hey, last week, Jay, you you talked about the, the Holy Spirit, or when you talked about the Holy Spirit, you say, Holy Spirit's he, not an it. Yeah, I don't know why they changed it, whatever. But I have, he's a he, okay? Like, that's clearly, that's clearly, like, stated throughout Scripture. But I think what they're saying, it is the experience of being indwelled by him. Okay, that intimacy, they have that intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So what do, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, I mean that I believe the Holy Spirit is in that moment telling Peter and John what he's going to do. This is key. So I want to distinguish between two types of prayers for healing right here. Okay. One, there is a, there is a type of prayer for healing that is a petition to God. Like where I'm just asking God to do this thing. Like, God, would you please bring healing here? Would you please heal this person? Whether it's of depression or addiction or cancer or whatever it is, would you, would you heal? And this is a good and right thing to do. To ask him to do that. That is where I, I pray and my confidence comes from knowing that I have access to the Father and he hears our prayers. And so I boldly go to the throne and ask God to bring healing. This is the type of prayer of healing that for me personally in my life has been the vast majority. The vast majority has been this type of prayer for healing. It is a petition, a request. I don't know what God is going to do. I am asking him to do this. And, and we see lots of biblical support for this. One area is in James 5 where he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And there's, there's some vagueness about what they mean by deliverance and, and healing and raising him up. But what we see is like, if anybody's sick, like have the elders come and pray. Pray and ask. Like you don't ever need to worry that like, okay, well, I don't want to pray the wrong prayer. So, you know, what if God doesn't want me to be praying this? I, well, we're going to get to that. But by all means, tell the Lord what you want. And if you have compassion over the person who's suffering, then you're going to be in those situations. You're going to pray, God, I want to see healing. But there's also this other type of prayer for healing. There's the type of prayer that is a declaration of what he has said he is going to do. And I think that's what's happening here with Peter. I don't think... Now, yeah, this is, so this is me. So there, you know, as I, as I preach, that there is a difference between when I say, okay, this is everybody who understands the Bible is authoritative and believes this. These are things that we clearly see in this passage, in the scripture, and the other times where we're looking at this and we're wrestling with it, and it's good for us to wrestle together. But I don't think that he said what he said to this man, rise up and walk. I don't think he said that because he believed God could do it. 
I think they said what they said because the Holy Spirit told them he was going to do it. And in my experience, this has happened just a handful of times where I'm praying for somebody and it becomes very clear what the Holy Spirit wants me to pray. And in those moments, the prayer is different. In those moments, the prayer shifts from a petition of asking God to, the, to, to do something to declaring this is what God is going to do. And I understand wholeheartedly that that makes many of us in this room super uncomfortable. You are not alone. It makes me super uncomfortable. And yet, those times are clear. Standing over, a, I've shared this story before, so I'm not going to share the whole thing, but standing over a baby who has been declared basically legally dead and feeling totally out of place, not knowing the family, not knowing, but, but, but being asked by a friend to go and visit this family in despair and walking into the NICU and then being left in the room with the baby and praying for the baby, but starting out by praying for comfort for the parents and hearing the Holy Spirit say, no, pray that he would be healed. And then feeling really weird and then praying again and saying, okay, God, well, if, if you want to heal, you can, you can heal. You can do anything you want. So you can heal this baby. And again, hearing the rebuke of the Holy Spirit saying, no, pray that he is healed. So then trying again and getting rebuked again. And as I've said it before, standing there with the NICU, and if you've ever been in a NICU, you know you're, not, you're never alone. Nurses are just sitting there watching you and just looking like a total fool in front of them, praying over this baby that has no hope and declaring, God is going to heal you. That's different. Listening to the Holy Spirit as you're praying for healing is an important thing to do because he will at times tell you, pray in this way. And that baby lived. And that was years ago and he is still alive today. And normally when I think about sharing the story, I wasn't planning on that. I have a picture of him just as evidence of that. And you know who I told about that at that time? No one. Not a person. Because I felt super uncomfortable and weird. Because it wasn't normal. Because it felt strange. Listen, this is all part of it. And usually I tell, like, years later when my mom is diagnosed with cancer, I'm, like, ready to pray for healing again. And in that time, praying and hearing the Holy Spirit say, no. Not going to heal her here on earth. And so responding with heartbreak and praying the way that the Spirit is telling me to pray. 
And again, it bears repeating, that's not the norm for me. Maybe it's the norm for you. Maybe every time you're praying for someone to be healed, you feel very clearly an impression from the Holy Spirit that he tells you what to pray. For me, that's not the norm. Most of the time, I'm praying just like a dum-dum, just like, I don't know, God, this is what I want. I want you to do this. I don't know what you're going to do. I I believe that you can. I trust you in this. I, I just, please. But we need to have faith. He's going to do something miraculous. Whether that's healing in that moment or transformation, but there's something better going on. And that's the other thing that they see. Their boldness doesn't just come from believing that that's going to happen, that this man's going to heal, be healed. But their boldness also comes from knowing that whatever God offers him is better than what he's asking for. It is boldly proclaiming that Christ is better. It's not just believing that he can do these things and he does do these things, but it's believing that whatever he does is better. That's where our confidence comes from. Like, you don't get the sense that Peter and John are saying to him, like, hey, oh gosh, I sure wish we had some money. I didn't, just really don't ever carry cash on me anymore. You know, like, I, I, but hey, you know what? You know what I could do? I could offer you this other thing. Of course they're not saying that. They're saying, I have something better for you. Silver and gold isn't our thing, but this is. It would be like if you asked me if you're playing a, a pickup basketball game and you say, hey, Jay, we need a, we need a fifth. Like, can, you, can you help us, help us out? And I would classify myself as a solidly mediocre basketball player. Okay, so you say like, hey, can you help us? Well, like, all right, I'll probably get out there and do something, you know. But if I'm like, hey, you know what, I, I can't. Like, like I kind of like, I'm not feeling the best right now. I can't. But hey, you know, I've got a buddy here. Hey, Giannis, you want to play? You want to <laughs> just jump in and help him out? Like, it's better. Like, you wouldn't apologize for that. It's better. And you might think, well, yeah, like if I walked around and I could go around healing people, then I would definitely think that was better. But listen to this. What Peter and John believe is better is not the healing, but the healer. What Peter and John are so confident in is that this man is going to come face to face with Jesus of Nazareth. If the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced, if the Holy Spirit had said to Peter, I'm not going to heal him physically, but I'm going to open his eyes to see Jesus as the Lord. I think Peter would have said something similar to what Jesus says to the paralytic man in Mark 2. I think he would have said some variation of, well, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have to give you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, your sins are forgiven. And he would not have been an ounce apologetic over it. Like praying for someone means in part that whatever God is going to offer is better than what we could ask or imagine. Praying with full confidence in that. As you're entering into their suffering and you're listening to the Holy Spirit as you pray, but boldly saying whatever God has for you is better. Praying that they would come face to face with Jesus whether it's the believer who feels peace and comfort from Christ or the non-believer who turns and repents. 
And you're petitioning God that healing would be the way that he would make that clear. It's so many of my prayers for healing. I'm praying, God, you'd be glorified in this. I pray that this is the way that you would choose to glorify yourself here. And so Peter looks at the man. He has compassion on him. Likely has an internal dialogue with the Holy Spirit who says, yes, I'm going to heal him. And because he had seen it so many times before, says, rise up and walk. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Like he leaps up. Well, he doesn't leap up. Peter drags him up. There's a whole funny side story of this guy probably not fully believing what you just said. Like, what? I don't even, I can't even fathom what you're saying to me. And Peter grabs him and drags him up. And as he does, his feet and his ankles get strong right before their eyes. This is the power of God. The power of God that dwells in you as sons and daughters. And so you'd think like, well, okay, if that's the case, then why do we still have sickness and death? And it's important to point out, like, what's the point of it? And these miracles are not ends of themselves. Because we know all sickness and death did not stop when Jesus was here on earth. He healed a lot of people, and a lot of people remained sick. And that's the same as in the early church. A lot of people are healed, and a lot of people are not. And that's because the physical healings were never an end of themselves. But they were miracles pointing to a greater reality. They are always a platform of which to declare the better thing. So what we notice here is there's a hierarchy of needs that are on display. Like there's, there's three levels of needs that we see from this story, from this beggar. Like the first one is his view of his situation, right? He wanted money. So he asks for money. But Peter and John bring something even better, right? They bring healing, which is far better than money. Even the beggar would agree with this. It is far better than the money. But then there is a spiritual healing that happens, which is even farther beyond the physical healing. To small to big, the way the kingdom works, temporary earthly realities pointing to much greater eternal realities. And again, this happens all throughout the ministry of Jesus. People come to him with a question about earthly realities or a need that they have in their temporary reality. And sometimes it seems trivial, like a question about taxes. Other times it's big, like raising someone from the dead. But what they share is that they're all temporary. And God uses those circumstances to point them to something bigger. Mark 2, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. The reason to have the paralytic man healed is so that people would understand that there's a far bigger reality, far greater thing going on. 
In John 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man, not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so it is here. This healing miracle builds a platform from which to share the gospel. Look what Peter says, verse 11. While he, while the, the healed man clung to Peter and John, they like gripped him. They're not letting Peter, they're not letting Peter, he's not letting Peter and John go. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Remember like what Robbie talked about a couple of weeks ago, is this idea that he's, he's calling this out. He's saying, this miracle that you just saw... Don't, why are you acting all amazed and all in wonder and all confused about what happened? Why does he say that? He says it because they start to praise God. He says they praise God that this happened. And he's saying, you know who did this. And his servant is Jesus, whom you rejected and murdered. This idea of drawing that connection, of saying this is the reason this happened. This happened so that you could see on display. And Peter wants them to know it is in the name of Jesus that this happened, the same Jesus that you have rejected. I mean, it almost feels like he's laying it on pretty good. You killed the author of life. That's a pretty strong accusation. But Peter has no interest in sugarcoating things for them because it's too serious. It's too big of a deal. It is in his name that this miracle has taken place. And this is important. This is important right now because when miracles do happen right now, when we do pray for something and something happens and we see the miraculous, what happens in our culture? There's often a very generic praise God. Right? People will talk about when they're in hard situations, please pray, send positive thoughts, do whatever, pray, like pray to whatever God. And then when something happens, when someone is healed or is cured or is delivered, then we, we say kind of like, oh, praise God in this very generic way. And we rarely say it is by the power of the name of Jesus that this has happened. Not some vague power of God, but Jesus whom you have rejected. I think we've missed opportunities here. I know that I have. 
Many of you know that I've battled depression for years. Probably, I mean, it's been 15, 16 years of battling depression, different seasons, some, some higher, some lower. What you probably don't know is that over the last year, it was getting progressively worse. And it really peaked, or I guess more valleyed, um, at the end of last summer, going into last fall. It was, it was crippling. It was affecting everything. And my hopelessness was growing as it was the worst that I'd been in over a decade. And then, of course, when you're in those situations, external circumstances only kind of exacerbate it, and, and there were a lot of spirals in there. And the whole time, the elders knew and were praying for me and with me, and I would confess those things when I was feeling any of those things. So I was not alone in it. But the valley got really deep. And then last October, a friend was visiting, and it was actually after a business meeting. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right before the business meeting, I grabbed Jeff Clossy and I said, I don't know if I can get through this business meeting. Like, I just need you to be here and just be ready. Like, if I have to sit down, just like, I need you to hop up because I don't, I don't know if I can get through, I, I don't know if I can get through this. And after the business meeting, my friend and Jeff took me back into my office and they prayed over me. Many times people have prayed over me in this. I've prayed many times that God would deliver me from this. But this time was different. As my friend was praying over me, it switched between the first type of prayer to the second type of prayer where he believed and I was hearing the same thing and I heard something I had never heard in all of my years, 15, 16 years of praying to be delivered from this and I heard something I had never heard before which was today. I'm doing this today. So I asked and received and that day, I was healed of my depression. And this is the first time 98.5% of you have heard that. And the reason is because it feels weird. I'm telling you, as someone who's followed Jesus for decades now and has seen him do miraculous things, it still feels weird. I still wonder, am I, is, this, is this for real? Is this just a feeling I have? Did I really hear that? Is this really happening? And I waited and I watched and I watched. And this past weekend, I felt like I was kind of slipping down a slope again. I had a really rough weekend and I thought like, okay, well wait, all right, I guess this isn't, this isn't like real, it's not formal. And then as I'm sitting here this morning, I'm talking about this whole sermon and this does not even enter my mind as an example. And so I felt like I'm sitting here saying, Are you, you're not even going to declare that this has happened? 
And I think we do that because we feel weird, because I feel there's like a survivor's guilt, because I know how many people in this room are battling depression, and so there's this fear of like, well, if I say that God healed me, then the question comes up, why isn't he healing you? And do I feel guilty about that and feel badly that that's what's happening there? Or people who have suffered with other things, like, well, how do you, how, well, how do you discern that? Why do you do that? And so then they start wondering, like, well, what is it about me? Like, why did he deliver me? Why did he take 16 years to do it? Like, why didn't he take another 16 years to do it? And all these questions enter my mind. And you know the only thing that matters? Jesus. I don't know. But I know whether healed or not healed, it is for the glory of Jesus. Whether Jesus would be glorified in my healing or in my perseverance through suffering, that he would be glorified. And I'm telling you right now, that it is in the name of Jesus Christ that these things have happened. The Jesus whom you have either rejected or accepted. Not some vague power of God, not mental, not just like some kind of mental, um, you know, just exercises or hope or positive thinking or anything like that. It is the power of God manifested in the person, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, like, we have testimonies to that. This room is full of testimonies to that. And I just want to encourage you, like, tell them. Like, I'm looking around the room and I see people in this room who were dead. And you came back. And you know it. I see people in here who've been delivered from addiction and delivered from depression and delivered from bitterness and delivered from, from heartbreak, and delivered from all kinds of sin, and delivered and healed from illnesses. There's a reason. It is that he would be glorified. I see some of you that it's layered, where it was God didn't heal, but then has healed you in the process and the grief over not having received the healing that you begged God for. And I just want to ask you right now, like as, as awkward as I feel right now, and if you wonder, like some people ask me, like, man, it just feels so effortless. Like you just, like I get nervous when I come up here. There's very few times where I feel awkward. This is one of them. So we're in this together, but I just want you to, right now, if you are in a situation where you say, yes, I have experienced the healing of Jesus Christ, either in my heart, in my physical body, I have seen miraculous things happen, and it is by the name of Jesus that has happened. I want you to raise your hand. Okay. Raise them again. Keep them up, and I want people to look around and see that either all these people are crazy— which some of you, okay. <laughs> or they're liars, which some of you definitely. Or they're real. They're testimonies to the name of Jesus. And he wants you to see that. Not to rub it in your face. Not to make you feel guilty. Like, oh, I guess I should be doing more for God. No. The God who did this, he wants you to know it is because he is near. He is not distant. He is not impersonal. He created you. He knows you. He loves you. He became flesh and dwelt among you. And he paid the price for your sin. You were created by him and for him. So repent 
and turn back. It is in his name that these miracles have taken place and it is in his name that a miracle can take place in you. So I boldly proclaim that to you right now. You might be here or have come here looking for friends or a place to maybe practice your faith or to kind of get filled up during the week or to grow maybe in self-improvement or maybe you're here to just appease somebody in your family. You might be here so your kids get some good programs or teachings. We don't have any of that to offer you. But what we have is this. In the name of Jesus Christ, turn from your sin and find life. Those of you who are seeking, and there are many of you in this room right now who are seeking, I want you to hear that. My guess is that you have seen things that it would take more faith to explain away than it would to just acknowledge that it was God who did this. And maybe you've stopped at giving a generic thanks to a generic God. I want to encourage you with all the love of my heart to stop messing around. The God of the universe has made himself known to you and he's doing that so that you would know that he is God and that he sent his servant Jesus who took your punishment for you and he did this not to condemn you but to deliver you not to cast you out but to make you a son and a daughter so turn and repent and be healed give up your life so that you might find it and for many of you this is your story it's not meant it's not meant to end with you Look what he says in verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And he's speaking specifically to the Jews, but now as we apply this, it is to the church He has blessed you to be a blessing, to not keep that inside. Through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He turned you, he turned me away from my wickedness. It's a reminder, unless any of us would boast in anything but the cross. And he's going to bless the world through us. Not because we're good, but because he is. And we'll never be the same. Church, this is our testimony. And we are called to live lives fully devoted to him on display to say it is by Jesus, it's the name of Jesus that I have been delivered and I'm standing here today. This is why the opportunity to pray for someone in their need is such a powerful way to share the gospel both with believers and non-believers. We get to meet people where they are We know the creator of the universe listens and hears us and listens to us. And so we pray expectantly. And we walk through this world with our eyes wide open, having compassion on people and meeting with them in their suffering and offering what we have, the power of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that whatever he does, it is better. Knowing that what I'm doing in that moment, you think about this, when you are praying, when someone says, would you pray for me, that you pray for them and you lock eyes and you say, look at me. You lay a hand on them. 
And you say, I am with you in your suffering and I pray for you. What I have to offer you is the power of the Holy Spirit and believing that what you were doing in that moment is you were giving them a face-to-face interaction with the God of the universe. And that is powerful regardless of what happens. And then we have a platform to share the gospel. To say, what is available to me is available to you. Church, I want us to be a church that asks and sees God do incredible things and then hears stories of that so that our eyes might be lifted up to him. And right now what I want to do is we're going to respond and have Robbie come up. But I'm also going to ask um, some, some people. I just grabbed a, a handful of people to come up and, and offer um, to pray. So why don't you guys come up? So I just, I just grabbed a few men and women I want to be available to pray. So Robbie is going to just play some music. And if you would want to receive prayer for anything, maybe you want to, you want to receive prayer for healing, something physical or health-related that's going on, and you're just saying, I, I need to ask I need other people to ask on my behalf. Or maybe it's something mental that's going on. Battling depression or other mental illness. Or you're battling addiction. Or you're battling bitterness. Or you're praying, you're, you're hopeless about what's going on with your adult children. Or your young children. Or you want to say, I want to turn and repent, and I want to follow Jesus. This is the time. This is the time. Penny, if you feel strong enough, I'd love for you to be up here. Otherwise, you can pray like crazy right there. And you can be in the situation where you say, that feels weird. Yes, I get it. In our culture, it feels weird. But however weird you feel, know that I'm with you in it, and so are every single one of these people that I ask. But you know what, why they're standing here? Because they love you. And they want to pray for you. So as Robbie plays, I'm going to pray, and then if you want, come forward and receive prayers. And let it be in the name of Jesus that we see wonderful things. Father, we need you. God, I pray right now that whatever you're doing in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would move. And it's not by our power or anything else that's going on, but God, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would move people, that if they would want to call out to you, that they would come forward. They would come forward and receive prayer now that you would be glorified in the wondrous works that you will do. We believe you. We trust you. We are expectant. We call out to you in Jesus' name.
maybe as you're sitting there, you want to pray prayer of thanksgiving. You've seen a miracle happen and you have not given praise, declared that. Come forward and rejoice together. for those who are watching online who are not here physically with us Lord would you would you be with them God I pray I pray for those who are watching right now who are seeking and are turning and saying I want I want to follow you Jesus I pray God that they would repent say I'm yours and that they if that is you then please let us know and God I also rejoice our brothers and sisters who are watching, who are thinking of things and seeing things and rejoicing over miracles that have taken place. And also, God, for those who are suffering right now, and even prayers for miracles are, are accompanied by deep pain and grief and sorrow of miracles that were unrealized here on earth. God, let our hope be strong that you are always offering us the better thing. We always have the ultimate healing that is available to us through Jesus. And let us believe that that is the greater thing and hold tight to that. We would cling to you, Holy Spirit, in the way that this beggar would cling to Peter and John and not letting go refusing to let go. And Lord, we pray that you would do more and more and more. And that we would not steal any of your glory, either by letting ourselves receive the credit or the glory or the honor, God forbid, but also that we would not let it be some nebulous power or spirit that we would give credit to, or some generic praising of you, but the very specific praising that is in the name of Jesus. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You delivered your people out of the desert. You delivered them into the promised land. You promised to be their deliverer and bless the nations of the world through them. And you have fulfilled that in Jesus, becoming flesh and walking among us and living the life that we could not live and dying the death that we deserved and being raised in the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sin and death for all eternity and for us here as we experience and part your kingdom. Let us be your children here. Let us be in awe and wonder of all the miraculous things that you are doing as you are moving in and through us and among us in small ways and in big ways. 
all are beautiful. We declare, and even as we sing together, we declare that it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that we rejoice in all that you have done and are doing and have promised to do. Let us sing with voices raised, worthy of the calling that has been on our lives, worthy of what we have seen. Amen.